Welcome to the Leading Real Change podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jacqueline Kerr, an expert in workplace culture change. From my unique background in behavior science, public health, and community advocacy, I help corporate leaders with evidence-based individual team and organizational change to create thriving workplace cultures for all. In the Leading Real Change podcast, I interview dedicated and passionate change makers about their careers, how they lead change, and what leaders can do today to make a difference, to build healthy, inclusive workplace cultures for all. I'm excited to share these examples of real workplace change with you. You'll learn about effective strategies that are working and how to overcome real barriers to change that challenge us every day. I hope you'll feel inspired and more confident to keep leading change in your workplace. Please share this podcast with other HR, DEI or ERG leaders who you know are working hard but are struggling to have an impact and need more support to effectively create a thriving workplace culture for all today. I'm Rosa and I'm CEO of HR Hints and Culture IV. These two organizations are based on helping founders and people in organizations to work better, to be more happy at organizations and to work more effectively. HR Hints is typically a service company. So we are helping scale-ups, startups, also VC-backed, private-backed companies, as well as tech-growing companies. We are doing onboard and on-demand, which are both subscription models. We believe in subscription model because of the fact that we believe that changing behaviors and helping people in organizations is not like one-time training, not one-time meeting, but it takes more time to help someone really to change the behavior, to change the pattern of organization. So we are working in subscription, basically, and we are doing both subscription, as I said. So on-demand is small subscription, on-board is big subscription. So it differs when it comes to the time we dedicate to the company. And we are helping both in building teams, so talent acquisition, and in people and culture, so organization culture which means basically that we are kind of external HR department for startups and changing companies, especially now when companies struggling with hiring. Times are hard for HR, for talent acquisition especially. We are rather laying off than hire currently, or we are looking at every position in our payroll. It's much easier and it's much cheaper to get external expert who knows the market, who has a lot of knowledge and knows the context, especially that we are having global context, especially when you are a young company and you are just learning how to manage and how to organize all this from the leadership point of view. And my way, and especially when it comes to my decision why I want to start a company like HR Hints, goes through burnout directly because of the fact that I started from talent role. I was working as a headhunter at the beginning of my career. After that, I was working in a recruitment agency and I was part of a great team and hiring and also leading in recruitment. And after that, because of the fact that recruitment is a little bit like sales, 
So if you are having your apps, it's really great and you earn a lot of money and you are super successful. But when you are having your downs, it's really hard to go through that. And candidates are rejecting offers and people are withdrawing and customers are not satisfied as you would like them to be. So it's really hard to go through that moment. And every recruiter is having that moment in his or her career. And I also had that moment. And because of the fact that I was always highly engaged and I was really excited of hiring and I loved it until I went through burnout, I decided that I don't want to do that any longer. And I decided that, okay, for me, enough is enough. I don't want to recruit anymore. And I stopped working at a recruitment agency and I joined startup. In these days, I didn't know what does it mean to work at startup. And it's quite challenging to join a startup with a burnout. It's kind of a high risk of decision in these days. But yeah, I moved from the talent acquisition role to the HR manager role. From the talent acquisition part, I moved to people and culture area, which means that not only recruiting was my scope, but also taking care of people, growing managers, taking care of communications, conflicts, onboardings, offboardings. So all these things which is happening with people after they join company. So basically all the ongoing company and people life. And luckily for me, I met the people who helped me a lot. And I started to work with startups and with VCs. And what I found there is a huge impact and a huge possibility to change the environment and also to have that feeling that you really can do something And I think like for people with huge engagement, it's super important to have that feeling and to have that possibility. So I found it in startup environment and I find it until today. And that's why we are working with startups, basically. We've helped more than 60 startups, scale-ups and tech companies. So we are having huge expertise in this area. So we decided to write down our own methodology which is called Culture ID. It's based on the most repeatable things in HR because we believe that on one hand, of course, in HR, it is important to have this human touch. So to treat everyone individually, to talk with every founder, every manager, every team member. But on the other hand, there are many things which are repeatable. It's not true that, okay, like every company is totally different. It's different when it comes to the mission or to the vision, but the processes, the problems, like including the burnout problems we will be talking in a second, are super repeatable. We count that even up to 70% of problems in growing companies or changing companies are repeatable when it comes to the growth stage of the company. So that's why building culture IV was possible. A lot of people are thinking, okay, we are so individual, like no one understands us. We are so different. You cannot help us because you don't know how it works to have such a company. Okay, I don't know how to lead your company, of course, but I've seen 10 companies being on Series A or being after Series A fund rising i know 12 funders after series b and i know what kind of problems you may have when you have i know 150 people on board 
and previously last year you were having half of that. Many problems are repeatable, so that's why most common problems, especially in burnout and protecting people's health and mental health, are repeatable and we are able to prevent them. Great. Thank you so much for that introduction. There's so many important nuggets in there in terms of, even as you said, your own journey. When you are super engaged and motivated by what you do, it doesn't mean that you're protected against burnout. And I think that's the thing. More and more people want to be engaged and want to have a purpose-driven career. So we have to continue to support them to not go into burnout, but almost in some ways too, without that purpose and without that engagement they will burn out. So I think that's just such an important point you brought up there. And then we always think about things like there isn't a silver bullet, one size doesn't fit all, those types of things. But there are some universal truths about human behavior. Because again, when I think about that, about coaches, they're basically seeing similar models. We have such similar kind of human failings where we maybe lack self-belief or we have unrealistic expectations. There are so many things we know from psychology that are common behaviors and also that have common roots. Like we know so often there are common roots to these problems. And again, like you, I see that the system part of this is the process by which you can go through. You can bring your own ingredients, but the recipe for how you move forward is actually quite common. So that's also how I see it. Just to summarize, so basically your working in this area of startups who are scaling, who already maybe have this mentality of burn yourself out. That's the only way you can succeed as a startup. But then as they're scaling, burning people out, they're having this high turnover. So again, that then also has its own impact on the organization and this feeling of stress and burning out. So basically, you've not only seen these patterns, because you've seen it in many other organizations, but your organization comes in and works with companies for three to six months. When a company isn't yet ready for an HR team, you provide that temporary team, but you're with them for long enough to actually see how do we change that team in the time that you're there. And I think that's so important because you're actually taking people through that behavior change process. You have a background in psychology as well, which also brings depth of understanding of these sort of repeatable human patterns. So just tell me about some key behaviors that we're going to focus on today in our discussion that you see coming up and that you have solutions for. 100%. That's super important what you've said, that it's really, maybe not easy, but that's possible to see how organization is changing when you observe it for a longer time. On one hand, I totally understand that some companies are having this willingness to buy a consultancy or to send their managers to the external training. Let's spend the weekends together and let's learn how to manage the team. Okay, that's possible when we are having everyone on board and we are having all the team together and we are spending all the weekend getting tools and mechanisms and ways how to manage. But from Monday, we are really implementing it. But what's really happening when we are trying to implement it? In 80% of organizations, the problem is that after 
we are coming back to the organization from external training or lesson or lecture or whatever. The problem is the organization itself. So the funders who are having no idea what have you learned as a manager or the funders who are having other priorities for current quarter or other managers who are saying like, okay, I understand that we are having great patterns to implement, but sales first. And I totally get all these arguments because I'm the founder myself. The real change is not able to be implemented when you are not really watching the whole runway. So it's really important that when you are, for example, working with a company, it's even better to work on milestones, right? You are starting to work with a company or you are helping someone with burnout or with other people issues in organization. And you are meeting someone once and after a month again and after next month again. And you are just observing progress because such important changes people are going through they are quite hard to be checked during one meeting because you need to base on declarations and people declare different things and as you said i spent 10 years on psychology five on master's degree and five on phd and i think we both know very well that what people declare and what they really do and what they really think there are like quite different things and it's not because of the fact that they lie They just think about themselves much better and they want to be taken much better than they are behaving in real life. That social desirability bias. But I also think it's because everybody's framework comes from this idea. It's just willpower that I need. We have such this individual understanding or lack of understanding, to be honest, but this individual focus on I'm solely responsible for my own change, whereas actually change happens in context. Like you say, it happens over time in response to the context you're in. So you may have this great intention to do something in an organization, but like you say, if you haven't thought about what are the barriers and if you haven't communicated how others are supposed to respond to that new way of behaving or how they interact with it, you as an individual can't really change things. You have to be aware of that, the context, the barriers, the different communication process that you need to go through. So we decided we'd talk today about lack of feedback, lack of goals, and lack of boundaries, that these were really key behaviors that keep coming up in these high stress, high turnover startups. So tell me a little bit about those and what you're doing to adjust those. Again, you have many other behaviors you work on, but let's take these three as examples, lack of feedback, lack of goals, and lack of boundaries. Sure. Uh, So like when it comes to the challenges, when we see the organization, especially uh, growing organizations, as we work with VC-backed and private equity-backed organizations, so they are growing pretty fast or they are changing pretty fast because currently they are often uh, optimizing, so they are laying off, they are cutting costs. So the type of organizations we are working with are super dynamic. The main problem, the first problem, let's start from that. The fact that leaders, people who are having their own teams in the companies, so they are responsible for people somehow, they are working pretty close to funders, which on one hand is super, super nice because they are able to act very fast and they are able to have that impact 
and they are able to decide, which is very nice for people who are highly engaged. Uh, but on the other side, it's super difficult because of the fact that um, funders very often are having this difficulty to understand the difference between themselves as funders and other people hired for organizations. The problem with the boundaries starts here. If something is breaking down, if we are having like a big issue, asking people to stay longer for late hours, asking people for doing something extraordinary, doing something else more than standard. Uh, on one hand, for funders, it's like a totally obvious thing. And they don't promote people for that. They don't say even thank you sometimes for that because they say, okay, we are just startup. We are just demanding company. What else you expected? And when managers, especially working close to funders, they are really ambitious and they really want to prove they are really on a good place in the right role. They let other, especially funders, let other move these boundaries and they stay long hours. They show how much they are involved, how much they are engaged, and they move these boundaries more and more, which shows funder that, okay, she or he is like my brother or sister in army, so we can fight together. Okay, on one hand, it can work like that, but it's not true, basically, because this person is not having as big equity in your company as you have, and it's not the same role. The difference between the manager and the co-founder is much bigger, in fact, than you can imagine when you are joining as a manager. Being the owner of the company, it's totally different than being a manager. So these boundaries and showing others that you really are in a good place, it's pretty dangerous for a longer distance because of the fact that for a week, for a month, even for three months, you can go with a sprint model, but for a longer time, it's really tiring and it's even impossible. And even like for funders, like we hear more and more often that funders are publishing on LinkedIn, there's private stories from the hospital or from their private lives that they pushed themselves so far that they were just exhausted and they were forced through their families or their health just to stop working, basically. So that's a huge thing. And that's the thing. I think we don't see that downside of it. People just assume that you can push yourselves to self-sacrifice for as long as it takes. But the problem is we do all break physically and mentally. And again, because we don't often share that's happened we have this misconception that it's not common or that it doesn't happen because we're so stigmatized to not talk about these things. No one wants to share if they burned out or broke down because they want to be available as the next soldier, like you say, that's willing to put their life on the line. And it doesn't help at the end of the day because the organization has higher turnover, then you have loss of knowledge in that process. So it does end up impacting the business negatively as well as people's lives so that's a good one that's a good example yeah like 100 but look how often when it comes to building the companies we are using the military nomenclature all this fighting for the customer all this zero-sum game like someone needs to fail to let someone else win so it's like totally about war and it's about fighting 
And I think it matters when it comes to the thinking about business and when it comes to the organization culture, but it really gives us the understanding how we think about building organizations, because what's, what's connected very strongly with the lack of feedback problem that funders and managers usually think that if someone is not delivering something or someone is underperforming or is not doing something like the task, managing the area in the way I wouldn't do that myself, that means that this person is underqualified or has bad intentions or is not good enough for the role. So people are very quickly judging in such dynamic companies. It's like exactly the same what you've mentioned when we were talking about this context and this thinking about the context. Like it's not possible to have a good performer with great onboarding and with a great match to organization. So we are not able to have a star from the market when we are hiring some someone. And often people are expecting that, okay, let's find the, the best head of sales. Let's find the best head of marketing. And we say, what does it mean the best? Like bring us top three candidates from British market, for example. And we say, there's no list like that. It really depends on the speed, of the pace, of the culture, of the challenge. And it's not the type of challenge like B2B sales or B2C sales. It's not as simple. It's when you really think that you can skip as a manager or as a funder, you can skip onboarding, for example, or, or you can skip giving someone the context. So the understanding what we believe in, how we operate, how you can be part of that, what we expect you, what we don't want you to do. This is super crucial. And if we are having like a great person who can be great performer, but we don't give the feedback to that person. So we assume that, okay, this person is good or not. So we say, okay, you just do the sales, you just grow up the revenue or not. And if you are good at sales, you are just doing the revenue. It's basically not true. Even if we are looking at the research from a scientific point of view, but then on a business group, we see very clearly that it's not about the performer himself or herself. It's about the context. It's about the organization. If the organization is having the habit of giving feedback. So if people are having regularly the feedback trainings, if they know how often they should give feedback, uh, what are the techniques of giving feedback, or if they are not knowing techniques, if they know the basic thing which should be said just to give the feedback properly, or what should I expect from the feedback taker, this basic thing which is built on our thinking that it is worth to give feedback because we believe that the fact that someone is not acting as I'm expecting is not because of the fact that someone is having bad intentions or is missing skills or lacking knowledge or is not intelligent enough or whatever, but we just didn't understand each other. So maybe someone is having different patterns or uh, different experiences or is ca coming from different organizations. There's no point to build all the rhythm all the flow around the feedback and building all these habits in organization if the founders and managers, they don't believe in it. So they said, oh yeah, people are just hopeless. That's very rare. We don't usually work with companies like that. 
But sometimes when we are having like first discovery call, we hear that, oh, these people, oh, they are lazy. They don't want to work. I understand from my observations about the market that there are so many opportunities for employees right now that they really don't stay with a company they don't believe in, especially in tech environment, especially in startup environment. This is the type of market where people can be really picky. The situation currently is changing slightly, but still it's not very difficult to find something, something new. So if people are still with you as a company, that means that they believe in what you do and what the companies do. So just they need the same from you as a founder, basically. It's so important to point out because essentially what you're saying is an important part of leadership and managing people is to have clear goals and feedback to those goals. A clear part of behavior change is to have clear goals and feedback around those goals. So the two in my mind align so well, what we can learn from behavior change. You need to know what you're working towards, but you need to constantly be checking in about whether you're getting there in the right way and are you going in the direction that was expected. And I think part of the problem is sometimes people are rushing so much in their organization to make some sort of progress forward, but they don't actually know where they're going. They haven't actually thought about how do I work out whether we're getting there or not. And again, like you said, having this very fixed mindset about it's either success or failure, but actually that's so important for emotional intelligence that we have that realization. In some situations, your skill isn't coming out in the right way, or in some situations, our expectations expectations weren't met. Here's the ones that you haven't met our expectations, but here's the ones where you have. And that's the same with any behavior change process. You're looking to see, okay, where are you making progress towards the goals? And then which strategies aren't working. And you want to know that sooner than later, because again, you want to be putting all your energy in the right direction. That's what leads to burnout is when we're expending energy without progress. So yeah, I think it's so fascinating that there's this sort of parallel in my mind to managing people is also about understanding how change actually happens. So again, let's get into that then is what is your process to when your staff are in a company for three to six months or longer, what is it they're doing then to make sure that these negative behaviors are changed over time what actually changes them yeah like 100% when it comes to the changes especially and and the flow which must be on one hand repeatable but on the other hand you need to be really sensitive to what's specific for the company because it's really crucial often and how we organize it when when we are checking it we usually start from measuring so We've mentioned previously the lack of feedback. We've mentioned the lack of boundaries, the lack of goals, which are pushing people to be much more often burned out in organizations. So the first thing we are checking is what exactly you do to measure people's work. Are you measuring artifacts or are you measuring high commitment or are you measuring effects of work themselves. That's a very common problem that high commitment is very often wrongly taken as a good performance. For example, when people are answering emails like at 10 p.m. or they call their boss on Saturday, people think, oh, wow, this person is so good performer. 
And actually, at the end of the day, when we see the effects and we see the level of the delivery, it's not as good as we imagine. Because, yeah, we are just wrongly taking it. We are checking how it works and we are going through all the routines. Our people and culture partner goes through all the company routines, regular meetings at the company, interactions with funders, interactions with managers, regular meetings of the team, regular meetings of the company, regular meetings, we call it like on purpose. What are you doing to teach people internally? So where from they gain knowledge about others' projects or others' teams' progress. So how, for example, a product finds out about marketing progress. If the company is counting like 50 people on board plus, it's not very easy. What are their routines? So how you update other team members, basically. The next thing is regular one-on-one meetings. One-on-one meetings with the manager. Are you organizing one-on-ones? How you organize them? So what are the goals of these one-on-ones? And are you going through the reporting, which is a pretty common problem, that the reporting meetings, so talking about work itself, is treated one-on-one thing with an employee, while it should be rather an opposite. So one-on-one is the time for the employee just to give the manager the option and the opportunity to catch if something is going wrong. So employee, when, for example, it's very common that companies are reaching out to us when they are having high turnover or they are having one month, like five notice on the desk. And they say, I don't know what happened. Like people are starting to give a notice. And we say like, okay, like your managers didn't know about that. And they say, no, but people don't say about that. Okay, so what's this space where you can hear this? And no, we don't have such space. We are having weekly meetings with a team. And I say, do you really think that your employee will say at the team meeting, oh, I'm quite frustrated and tired. I think about giving a notice. What do you expect? Like, why do you think that it will work like that? So, yeah, how you design, how you lead this um, one-on-one meetings If you organize as an organization, if you have this ritual or this rhythm of the skip level one-on-ones, that's super important. So the skip level is the one-on-one which skips one level, basically. So this is the one-on-one, which is not very often, of course, but this is the one-on-one with the manager of my manager. And it's not dedicated to take time to discuss why my manager is the worst and what kind of mistakes he or she is doing or what kind of mistakes she or he is doing or she's making. But it's basically dedicated to catching and understanding the different point of view. So if I'm the CEO and I'm currently in HR since I'm having four heads responsible for different areas, and so I'm having only four reportees in my organization and all the team is reporting to one of these heads. And every month, sometimes it's six weeks, I'm organizing these skip levels to understand what are the problems, issues and observations of people who are using this military nomenclature at this front line. People who are talking to the customers, people who are talking to the candidates, people who are talking to organizations, working to HR managers on our customers' sites. They see things which I'm not able to see. 
and the way around. I have that understanding of the business they are not able to have because I'm still in touch with investors, with business angels, etc. So I'm giving an extra perspective to them and they give the extra perspective to me. The organization must have this circular option to exchange the knowledge. These are the rituals we are going through when we are checking the organization. And this is the basic part, the most important part. After that, the second step, we go through the three layers in organizations, which are always based on funders. The first one, the managers, the second one, and the employees, the third one, the issues, the problems. And we are just thinking with five to 10 people of these groups just to understand, to take their perspective and hear their feedback, because it's obvious that the funder's narration is not the only one. I know that as a funder myself, that of course, I have one vision and I want my company to be this and this. But if you ask my people what they think, I don't think they, they will say like something completely different, but their perspective will be different. And that's obvious because we are in the diff different moments, different points. So we are talking with the three groups. And this is the second step. The third step, we go through, we call it the values uh, pyramid. And this pyramid is having uh, three layers again, three elements. And on the bottom, there are always values of the company. On top of the values, there are practices. On top of the practices, there are behaviors. On top of behaviors, there are interactions, which simply speaking means that if we have any values written down, if we know what we believe in and how does it work in practice in our life, what does it mean that we write about ourselves that we are transparent, for example? What does it mean that we are nonviolent in communication? If we say, okay, we really appreciate the knowledge and the experience, does it mean that more experienced person can shout on less experienced person in a room or not? And we believe when it comes to the practices and behaviors, we believe that the worst accepted behavior in organizations gives the lowest boundary of the organization culture. So we described it basing on this on this pyramid and we are able to describe the culture. On the one hand, of course, how it is written by organization itself, but on the other hand, of course, like from our observations and what we see. And that's the third step. And the last, the fourth step, it's like just a formal thing. So what kind of contracts are written? Are there like contracts of employment, B2B contracts, other contracts, like all these formal aspects, what benefits people have. So basically what's the uh, employee value proposition? It's more for the talent acquisition part. What's so attractive for candidates in the company? Because usually, and it's 75 up to 85%, EVP, so the main attraction point for the companies, is not about salary and the benefits. It's about something more, and we need to catch it in these steps, one to third. Because also, when we know what's strong, what are the strong points of organization, we are able to say if this organization will be helping people, keeping their mental health in a good condition or not. If this organization is toxic, or if we are having the challenge of 
just polishing some good practices, or our challenge to do is to rebuild the toxic organization. Because if we see, for example, that organization is having like average working time one year or half a year, and after six months, people are regularly leaving. So what's wrong? Or maybe it's not wrong for the founders. Maybe it's planned and it's okay for them. Just we need to understand that context and these four steps are to understand it better. Great. Thank you for that. And I think that's so important for people to realize about that behavior change. You can have these values, but how do you then say that they are demonstrated in behaviors and those behaviors become interactions? So I think it's really important when people say a lot of the times with diversity and equity inclusion initiatives, you've got to do your own work. And I agree, you have to develop skills to be able to decide, okay, what is my bias? How might I be bringing that into the room? But then you still then have to go through the process of actually practicing new skills and how they're received. Because again, that's where you need the feedback in terms of you're trying to communicate in a different way or you're trying to interrupt bias, but may not get it right first time or the situation may evolve over time whereby what you're doing has to change. I think that's so important for people to realize that always coming back to focusing yourself, individuals have to change. No, we have to change in a dynamic context that's changing and with people around us who are also themselves constantly changing. So I think that's how organizational change happens is when we go beyond the individual and start to say, okay, how together do we change as a organization as teams as developing that culture so we have to have these times when we're doing it together and we have to have these processes whereby there is goals and feedback and like you say times to get a different perspective because we lose perspective so easily and that's why we want diversity because then we want to hear different perspectives So one of the things we had talked about previously is that your own staff, when you worked in a a startup environment yourself, it was stressful and you're at risk of burnout. So your managers are working in these toxic and stressful environments. So maybe you could just share a few things that your organization does to help those leaders de-stress. Oh, sure. Yeah, with pleasure, because as we are really positioned to risk because we are working very closely to funders and we are also acting as interims so we are acting very often like as HR managers being on behalf of the company people working on side of the customers and being involved in HR hints because we are what's super important we are hiring only FTEs so we don't have any consultants in HR we don't take people on for projects or half time or 10 hours a week because we are having projects because it's super important for me to have everyone on the same page and being everyone involved in these rituals because I think that there is a very high risk of disconnection and as I hear about our competitors from different countries that there is a big mess in their organization because they are working like as a group of consultants. So they are not sync well and they are also having very high level of rotation. So that's the, the co- very common problem. So just to prevent it, we are having a lot of internal meetings. We are having all hands every week and every head and me at the end of the meeting, we are reporting the progress 
And what's super important for us, we are reporting both advantages and disadvantages from the last week. From my point of view, it's super important to be able to talk about disadvantages and the things which were not super successful. And maybe it's too hard to say like it's failure, but failure sounds really hard. In our agenda, we are always having, okay, where I need help, what I have to announce or what's my question to you for this week, where we are succeeding and where we are not succeeding. For me, it's super important to openly talk about this not very positive things, just to build this openness inside the company and not to be scared to say, okay, I don't know how to do that. Or, okay, I've just noticed that I'm doing it wrong. So that's super important. Uh, the second part we have is the one-on-one -on -one rhythm. So every employee is having every week one-on-one -on -one with the manager. And so I'm having one-on-ones with my heads and the heads are having with their teams. And every month or sometimes it's six weeks when I'm off for a longer time, we are having the skip levels I've mentioned previously. So this is the ritual we are keeping regularly. And what's also super important is the self-learning. We are having a lot of meetings dedicated to grow. So we are having three types of meetings. We are having tools and news. We are having case studies and we are having knowledge meetings. And case studies is having place every Friday. So it's a weekly meeting. And case study is dedicated to difficult cases which are ahead of us or which we've just gone through, which were pretty challenging, somehow new. And we can take the lessons learned or we can share with others to help them take these lessons learned. These are real cases from our work. And we are also having tools and news and knowledge meetings. And both of them are each two weeks and yeah, they are like going in parallel. And the tools and news are dedicated to growing, but that type of growth, which is focused on gaining new knowledge. Uh, because of the fact that when you are working with customers, it's very easy to go with the customer and focus only on current things and not to look for the news about the startup environment or not look for another tools so we can use for the talent acquisition or another organization culture measurement tool or anything which can help us measure people and culture and talent better or anything which can be helpful when it comes to building the teams and growing the culture. So everyone is bringing the tool or the news and is obliged to tell the team more about it. And it's every two weeks. And in parallel, every two weeks, we are having knowledge meetings. And because of the fact that majority of our team are psychologists, but not only, we are also having philosophers, we are having lawyers, we're having economists. Yeah, like uh, education background is, is pretty important for us, as I'm biased, as you may guess, in that area. When it comes to knowledge meetings, we are sharing the knowledge, which is not strictly the business knowledge, but can be helpful uh, in understanding the business process better. Usually we are having, for example, like last last three knowledge meetings were about neuroscience processes, being cognitive uh, tired, uh, being too much into biases when we make decisions about hiring 
all this um, around psychology, around social sciences, knowledge, just to upgrade others' knowledge to help them understand the human nature better. So it's not like typically business knowledge, but just to help others understand the environment and the human being, if it's ever possible, just generally speaking. That's what we do to share the frustrations. And of course, in parallel, every team is having their own internal meetings. So people and culture partners are having twice a week meeting. And one of them is reporting meeting. Like Friday is the reporting day for us. So every team is summing up the week uh, and is saying, okay, what was cool, what wasn't. And one of the meeting is always during the week. Usually it's Tuesday or Wednesday for different teams. So there's a space to say, okay, I'm frustrated. It doesn't work. I tried so hard, but I failed. How can I see that problem in a different light? How can you help me? What do you think? So yeah, it's the thing with the team just to be on the same page and just talk through this frustration. So I think it's super helpful when it comes to the level of frustration that they have on a daily basis. I think that's so important because you're pointing out several things there. One, it's that comfort with mistakes and people need to know that they can make mistakes and that making mistakes is learning moments. And so you're really developing as a whole, this growth and learning mindset through the meetings and the processes you have, which again, is so important for us to be more inclusive. We have to have that sort of culture to start with. And then also it's a process of peer learning. And that's how we create systems change is when everybody is learning together and from each other. And that's what we see in healthcare. We see it also in the nonprofit and global non-governmental organizations. Peer learning collaboratives and the peer learning process is how we move from individual change to systems change. So that's exactly what you're instrumenting in your company. And it's so important because it changes the culture. So great. These are all been such fantastic examples. And even though I think it's a unique environment you're working in, it's also a very common environment in terms of how common startups are, how common burnout in startups is. But I also think even within these small scale organizations that might be startups, one can take the same lessons as a manager and think about your unit as a small startup. And then you're basically using the same lessons at small scale and and then hopefully again, having some process to actually make those lessons adapted and translated across the organization. So thank you so much for your time today and for your wisdom and really looking forward to keeping in touch and hearing about more successes in this way. Thank you. Thank you very much. And likewise, it was my pleasure. And yeah, I'm super glad that there is a space where we can talk about out and preventing it or even having this heads up or building this awareness that something like that exists and it's not someone's fault, but it's the process and we can together do something to be aware and to help others fighting with it. Thanks so much for listening today. I hope the podcast brings you fresh ideas, renewed confidence, 
and energy to keep leading change. If you need a partner in these efforts, I can help you effectively build a thriving workplace culture for all. I'll help you overcome the real barriers to change you face every day and help you lead real change with evidence-based solutions. In particular, I want to work with passionate leaders who have tried and failed. Because I know you have what it takes and your experience will help you clearly recognize the difference I can make. For a free consultation today, please visit my website at www.leading-real-change.com. That's www.leadingrealchange.com. Do it all.